Welcome to What's Up Wednesday. In these short episodes, I will summarize a recent study or journal article related to obesity management and discuss how to incorporate this latest science into your clinical practice. And of course, I'll be sure to include links to the articles in the show notes. So let's jump in. Hello, and welcome to this latest edition of What's Up Wednesday on the Gaining Health Podcast. I'm your host, Carly Burge, and thank you for joining me again today as we discuss a recent article in the Obesity Pillars Journal. And the title of this article is Obesity Pillars Roundtable, Excessive Weight Reduction with Highly Effective Anti-Obesity Medications. And the authors on this paper are Dr. Harold Bays, myself, Carly Burridge, Dr. Jesse Richards, and Dr. Angela Fitch. And this article was released in the Obesity Pillars Volume 4, December 2022. And I will, of course, have the link to this article, which is a free access journal, Obesity Pillars, have that in the show notes for you. So currently... Newer approved and investigational anti-obesity medications are achieving greater weight reductions than some of the older anti-obesity medications, which is very exciting. You know, some of these new medications released uh, in 2021 and some of the emerging medications that are coming out are showing almost twice as much weight reduction as we see with some of the older agents, which is very exciting but it has also prompted a new and emerging challenge of potentially having too much weight reduction, too much efficacy of these medications with some patients. And so this is not something that we've really encountered before with anti-obesity medications and something that many did not even think was possible prior to 2020. So this roundtable discussion includes perspectives from three different obesity medicine specialists with clinical experience. And the intent is to kind of provide perspective and guidance in managing patients with obesity who might be experiencing too much weight loss or too much weight reduction with some of these highly effective anti-obesity medications. So in general, the panelists agreed that prior to treatment with any anti-obesity medication or any treatment for obesity whatsoever, the patients should be informed, of course, about the importance of healthful nutrition, adequate hydration, routine physical activity, behavior modification techniques, as well as the goals of treatment and anticipated changes, not only from a medical standpoint, but also from a psychosocial standpoint, especially when we're reaching these higher levels of weight reduction, they can, of course, have very significant medical um, effects, most of them positive. But on the psychosocial side, there can be positive effects, but sometimes also negative effects. And so that is just something that we need to be aware of and we need to talk to our patients about even before we start them on these medications. It's also important to recognize that the definition of excessive weight reduction may have both objective as well as subjective considerations, and that body composition analysis is going to be important, if not essential, 
to accurately assess adiposity as well as muscle mass, which is super important when when our patients are losing a significant amount of weight, we want to be able to assess, are they losing adipose tissue? Are they losing muscle mass, right? Are they becoming dehydrated? And body composition analysis is going to give us a much clearer picture of this than if we're just looking at weight or BMI alone. The consensus of the panelists is also reflected in a proposed, structured, and algorithmic approach to the patient with excessive weight reduction, which is reviewed in this paper. So once properly evaluated, because we want to make sure that the excessive weight reduction is in fact coming from the medication and not some other cause, but if the excessive weight reduction is determined to most likely be due to the highly effective anti-obesity medication, then this should prompt the clinician to educate the patient and also possibly their family and friends on the health and psychosocial aspects of weight reduction and engage in a shared decision-making process that determines whether this highly effective anti-obesity medication should be kept at the same dose whether the dose should be decreased, whether the medication should be temporarily held, or in some cases, whether the medication is best discontinued, and potentially a new or different medication should be tried for this patient. So Dr. Bay starts off this roundtable discussion by defining these highly effective anti-obesity medications. So he defines highly effective AOMs or anti-obesity medications as medications that are achieving 15% or more body weight reduction, either as a mean weight reduction or achieved in a clinically meaningful percentage of clinical trial participants. So if we're looking at categorical weight loss, right, what percentage of patients are losing 15% or more. And and those would be considered some of these highly effective anti-obesity medications. So when semaglutide uh, 2.4 or Wegovi was approved in 2021 uh, for the treatment of obesity and with the ongoing development of terzepatide for obesity, as well as other anti-obesity medications that are in the pipeline, we're seeing a mean body weight reduction often of, you know, 15 to 20% body weight or more. So this is really significant and significantly more than what we're seeing with some of the older anti-obesity medications. So it's really important that we start to get ahead of this um, before we find ourselves or our patients struggling with too much weight loss. So there is a really great table in this article that shows the overall mean or average body weight reduction, as well as categorical weight reductions by 5, 10, 15, or greater than 20% weight reduction uh, for many of the commonly used anti-obesity medications, some of the older ones, as well as some of the newer ones. And they also compare this with the placebo um, that was used in the trials. So, you know, we use, they use fentermine 15 milligrams, which showed an average of 7% weight reduction, semaglutide 2.4 or Wegovi. So this would be one of the highly effective anti-obesity medications, one of the newer ones, uh, where the mean uh, average weight reduction was 15%. 
Then liraglutide, 3%, uh, 3 milligrams, which is Saxenda, which had an 8% weight reduction. Fentramine topiramate, which in the sequel study, which was the 56-week extended trial, showed about a 10% weight reduction. Naltrexone bupropion, um, of course, also known as Contrave, which showed an average of 7% weight reduction. Then they also list Orlistat with at 9% and Plenity, which again is not a medication, but is that non-systemic hydrogel. So more of a uh, device than really a medication, which showed about 6% weight reduction. And then terzepatide, which currently, of course, is only approved for type 2 diabetes, but is in investigation for its obesity indication, which showed an average of 21% weight reduction in the trials. Again, this is not approved for obesity yet, but it's in undergoing clinical trials. So again, the categorical weight loss is also really important to look at, but I will spare you from reading out all those numbers. But if you want to take a look at that, take a closer look at the paper. And it's important to note that um, a lot of these medications now, when we're talking about, you know, a 21% weight reduction, for instance, with trisepatide, these are really approaching the numbers that we see with bariatric surgery. So when we look at the outcomes, the three-year outcomes of the sleeve gastrectomy, that's on average a 21% uh, total body weight reduction at three years. And the Roux-en-Y gastric bypass at 31.5% total body weight reduction at three years. So it's no surprise in this article that you hear the panelists, myself including, discussing that when we're treating patients with these highly effective anti-obesity medications, that we should take an approach to them and prepare them similar to how we would approach bariatric surgery patients, right? So it's really important that we discuss both the positive changes as well as potential challenges, including not just physical or, you know, health-related challenges, but also psychological and social changes. And ask about social support and ask about these types of things and discuss this early on in treatment, usually before we even start the medication. And in addition to that, you know, in bariatric surgery, we track and we're concerned about nutritional deficiencies, right? Including making sure that patients are getting sufficient protein, making sure they are staying well hydrated. And so these things are going to be very important for us to discuss and for us to be a little bit more prescriptive about the nutrition plan when we are using these highly effective medications with patients that really work very effectively to suppress appetite, right? So we want to make sure that when our patients are eating, they're eating the right types of food and making sure that they are getting the right nutrients that their body needs. And that also includes vitamins and minerals, right? So in bariatric surgery, we screen for vitamin and mineral deficiencies prior to surgery and correct them before surgery and then continue to screen afterwards. And, you know, we don't really have any specific guidelines for this when it comes to medical treatments because we've never had medications that um, have resulted in this much weight reduction. But this is something that we need to start paying attention to and possibly need to start doing with patients on these highly effective anti-obesity medications as well. 
And then Dr. Richards goes on to discuss how he thinks that the development of these new medications will impact how primary care providers treat patients with obesity. And he really believes that the improvements in some of these therapeutic options for obesity parallel the improvements that we've seen in pharmacotherapy in disease states like diabetes, hypertension, and hyperlipidemia. And he anticipates that primary care clinicians are becoming more comfortable discussing and prescribing highly effective anti-obesity medications used to treat obesity. So he's anticipating that we'll see more and more primary care providers starting to prescribe these medications, especially for the less complex cases of patients with obesity, and then referring patients that are more complex or difficult cases or more resistant cases of obesity to obesity medicine specialists. So Dr. Fitch discusses how the emergence of these newer, safer, highly effective anti-obesity medications will affect the way that obesity medicine specialists treat obesity. And, and she really believes that this jump from an average weight reduction of five to 10% that we were seeing with some of these older medications to, you know, 15 to 25% weight reduction is really increasing provider, patient, and societal acceptance, as well as the adherence to pharmacotherapy for the disease of obesity, because she says that she believes that patients will likely perceive that the benefits of a 15 to 25% weight reduction is more than worth the risk and the hassle of taking an anti-obesity medication for sustained results. So next, Dr. Bayes in this article also discusses the potential, neg potential negative consequences of substantial weight reduction and that patients need to be aware of, that clinicians need to be aware of and discuss with their patients. So he also discusses kind of the psychosocial side, how a significant weight reduction like that can impact relationship dynamics, including the relationship with oneself and one's relationship with food. So this is definitely something, all of these things are things that we need to consider and discuss with our patients. And Dr. Pa Dr. Fitch also comments, um, based on her experience working with bariatric surgery patients, uh, that we see this all the time. And, and myself, I also come from a history of working in bariatric surgery. So this is something, again, I'm quite familiar with, with working with these patients. And I think we simply have to start treating patients on these highly effective obesity, anti-obesity medications, similar to surgical patients. And she also stresses that open and honest communication between the provider and the patient, as well as the patient and their family members are super important. And that professional psychological help is often beneficial, especially when encountering things like body image and acceptance issues. And she also focuses on emphasizing on the health metrics as well as body composition, rather than looking at the number on the scale or even BMI alone uh, to judge somebody's progress or their health. So I go on in the article uh, to add that assessing for social support and potentially offering things like support groups or referring patients to certain managed online support groups, that's something that's played an important role in the success of metabolic and bariatric surgery patients. And maybe we should be considering these types of things for non-surgical patients as well. And in addition to that, I discuss obviously that food plays a much bigger role in people's lives beyond just providing nutrition, right? You know, 
food plays such an important cultural role and traditional role in our lives and social role. And so it's really important that we discuss this with patients so that they know how to navigate this in a way that they can still keep their culture and traditions alive while also being mindful of their health at the same time. And in addition to that, for many people, food is a coping mechanism, right, for stressors or negative emotions. So it's really important that we help our patients find alternative healthful coping mechanisms uh, for their long-term outcomes and their overall success and well-being. And lastly, Dr. Richards also talks about some of the patient concerns that he sees around some of the cosmetics changes that can occur with excessive weight loss or with, with a lot of weight loss, such as excess skin or loss of muscle tone. And he also talks about that sometimes patients and family members worry that the weight loss might be unhealthy. Right. So he talks about discussing that their, you know, health can occur at many different sizes, that weight loss can be healthy weight loss, but there's also such a thing as unhealthy weight loss, right? So we need to discuss this with our patients, with their family members, especially if their family members or friends are expressing a lot of concern around this. And, you know, finally, the panel discusses what it means for a patient to be losing too much weight. So currently, we don't really have a good definition of excessive weight loss. So certainly, you know, certain things like if BMI falls below 18.5 or body fat uh, drops too low, obviously that would be an indication of excessive weight loss. But beyond that, there are other measures that can be deemed as excessive weight loss. And that really right now there is no firm definition. So it can really be defined by whatever the patient, the clinician, or, or family member perceive it to mean. So it's really important that we keep this open communication. And there's also a great table in this article for differential diagnoses that should be considered for other causes of weight loss. So if a patient is losing what seems to be an excessive amount of weight, of course, obviously, it could be the anti-obesity medication. That's the first thing we want to look at. But let's not forget that there can be other potential causes of weight loss. So it's also important that we rule those things out. So lastly, the panelists discuss their approaches regarding the evaluation and treatment of a patient with excessive weight loss. And to summarize, basically, the panel advises that we have regular follow-up, especially for these patients who are taking these highly effective anti-obesity medication, that we assess nutrition and hydration on a regular basis, um, their psychosocial well-being, make sure that we're checking labs and body composition analysis, and also, you know, patient selection is going to be important. So right now, there are no different criteria as far as BMI or other criteria for prescribing these highly effective anti-obesity medications than there are for, you know, the older anti-obesity medications. Perhaps that's something that will change in the future. That's something that, you know, we need to keep an eye on and see if that's appropriate. So, you know, when we're selecting patients for these highly effective anti-obesity medications, that's something else to keep in mind. And so most importantly, it's just really important that we have close follow-up and honest and open communication with our patients and to have these discussions early on and uh, to assess and address these things before they become a problem and make sure that we are communicating effectively with our patients and supporting them every step of the way. And again, it's very exciting that we have these new 
medications that are available, new medications that are in development. It's a it's a whole new world that's opening up for anti-obesity pharmacotherapy and for obesity management. So all very, very exciting, but we just want to make sure that we are getting ahead of some of these potential problems that we could be facing as well with some of these medications. All right. So like I said, I will have the link to this article in the show notes. So thank you so much for joining me on this episode of What's Up Wednesday, and I will see you all back next week. Thank you so much for joining us on the Gaining Health Podcast. Don't forget to review and subscribe. And if you really liked it, consider supporting us on Patreon. Lastly, if you need resources and tools to help you start an obesity management program, be sure to check out gaininghealth.com. Thank you, and we'll see you next time on the Gaining Health Podcast.